Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio. I am your host, Rob Watson, and we have a I think a really important show for you today. I think it's going to be fascinating. Um, we have the, actually he is breaking barriers already. Um, uh, his name is Robert Garcia. He is the first gay mayor of Long Beach, California, um, the city I lived in for quite a while. Uh, and he was the youngest elected mayor to that city and the first, like I said, gay mayor. Um, they also have not had very many mayors who were people of color, um, and he checks that box as well. Um, if that weren't enough in terms of landmark accomplishments as a public servant, he is also running for Congress um, to the House of Representatives, and um, that in itself has got to be quite an adventure, um, rubbing Elbows with both AOC and Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, will be quite the prospect. Um, so we'll see what his viewpoint is on that. Um, he is a Peruvian American educator. Uh, he is the 28th mayor of Long Beach. He was a member, or he is a member of the Democratic Party, uh, and he was first elected in 2014. Um, so we're excited to talk to him. Um, first, I want to bring on the co-host of the show and the editor of the L.A. Blade magazine, Brody Levesque. Brody, welcome to the show. Hey, Rob. Good afternoon, and good afternoon to all of our listeners and everybody. We appreciate you guys very, very much. Um, yeah, it'll be good to it'll be good to talk to uh, Mayor Garcia and kind of get an idea. of where we're at um, on the ground down there uh, in the Long okay. Beach area. Well, so, let's, um, let's do that. Let's do that immediately. Um, oh, well, that sounds so I'd like to welcome to the show uh, Mayor Garcia. Mayor Garcia, welcome. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks, guys, for having me. Thank you for, for coming on. Um, you're, you're taking on quite the adventure, um, moving from Long Beach to your sites at the uh, U.S. House of Representatives. What, uh, what inspired you to make that move? Well, I think for me, it's, it's always been about just trying to give back to, to the country. I, I think most folks know I, I'm an immigrant. Uh, that's a big part, probably the biggest part of who I am. And so when I came into the U.S. and I was five years old, my family and I, um, you know, like struggled like most immigrant families, and we worked hard, and my mom worked really hard uh, to get us to get by and to encourage me to go to college. And, uh, you know, was the first my family to go to college. That's kind of when I came out to Long Beach and went out here to, to Long Beach State. And, you know, in college, I became a U.S. citizen. I was 21 years old. My whole family became citizens right around the same time. And it was really transformational. It was, it was uh, something that we've been really working hard towards for a, a long time. It gave us the ability to have the same, you know, rights and privileges as other citizens. And 
my family and my mom in particular always instilled in me a real love of, of the country that we're in and I, um, being grateful and, and giving back. And so that's, that's what always I think drove my interest in then becoming an educator and, you know, working at the university level and then eventually then running for, uh, you know, for mayor and, and, and now Congress. So that's, it's really about the, the immigrant experience for me and, and just wanting to, to contribute to a country that, um, that I just generally really love so much. Donald Trump um, was kind of the complete antithesis of the spirit of what you just described. I mean, he really rode into office with a hatred of the immigrant population um, and really vilified immigrants uh, to a large degree. Um, You're like the living example to counter that. What is your message to people who um, hold that bias or that fear of, of um, immigrants coming into our country? Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think first that Donald Trump represents just some of the absolute worst, uh, worst things that, that folks believe in, and, and just the example he sets, I think, is, is horrific, you know, for us as a country and, quite frankly, for the whole world. And I think his idea of, of patriotism and America first is completely wrong and worked. And I, I've always believed, because I, I also believe in, in love of country, but to really love your country, you have to also love the people in your country. And his idea of patriotism, which is about individualism, America always first, regardless of, of anything else, uh, taking care of only you know, one's uh, selfish needs or, or just thinking about your family and not, and not others and, and not those that, that need help or support, is not really, I think, true American patriotism. And so when someone like Donald Trump, uh, you know, is out there spouting uh, that, that, that he loves America, I think, and, and, and quite frankly, that when a lot of Republicans say the same thing, I think it's a worse view of what patriotism is. And so I, I think some of the most patriotic people we have in this country are immigrants. And it's really a shame how immigrants have been demonized and uh, just uh, taken advantage of and, and, and really made to be, um, something that, that we're not. And so I'm, I'm happy to try to help change that narrative in, in Congress and work really hard on those issues to push back, to push back and, and fight against Donald Trump and what really has now become a really extreme um, uh, party, in my opinion, at least and certainly the far right of it is. Yeah, and, and thank you for being you and, and doing what you're doing because I think that is important. And, I mean, the fact of the matter is is that, if we removed every individual who came from an immigrant background, um, it would be a very small and uh, lonely country because um, that is the fabric of, of our country. Um, I do want to go to one area, and um, I, I feel very badly uh, for you because the pandemic has um, been quite a loss um, with both your folks um, succumbing to it. Um, and, and our, our heartfelt sorrow for you on, on that happening. But what has that done for you as a leader driving towards Congress? Um, what, what has that inspired you to want to accomplish? Yeah, I, I think that the pandemic obviously was just the hardest thing that I think any of us have probably gone through in a long time. Certainly it was for 
for us as a country and for the economy and for loss of life. And, and just give you an example, um, I mean, you mentioned obviously my parents, and I, that was something that was very horrific to go through personally. Uh, at the same time, you know, there was about, about 1,400 folks lost their lives across our city in Long Beach um, in the span of just over a year. And that's the single largest event or loss of life event we've ever had including like the huge earthquake we had in the 1930s, you know, more than we've ever lost uh, to, to gun violence. And so the pandemic itself as an event has been uh, incredibly uh, difficult, tragic, uh, destructive. And of course, we're extended the economy and to the ability for kids to learn in classrooms. And so it's been, it's been really, really hard to adjust. We're finally, of course, at a better place. It's not over, but we're at a much better place. And so I think for me as mayor, having led my community through that time, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm really proud of what we've done. I, the governor uh, called our, our response to the pandemic in the, in the state, um, in the state model. I mean, President Biden actually called out Long Beach as one of, as a, one of the best responses anywhere in the country from, from the city perspective. So that experience that I've had as being the chief executive of my city coming to Congress I think is going to be very uh, beneficial and useful. And I, I, I know uh, the ins and outs of, of what's, how cities work and what they need and uh, what, what folks are talking about, you know, on the ground. I think that's, that's different. Uh, most legislators are coming from, most members of Congress are coming from the legislature or the state or uh, maybe business or a lawyer. So, you know, for me, it'll be a little different. Definitely. Um, your background, uh, where people might look at you and go, okay, um, uh, Robert Garcia, person of color, um, LGBTQ uh, person, uh, he's a Democrat, oh my gosh, he is right in the core of the uh, quote-unquote woke progressives. But the fact of the matter is you actually came up through the Republican ranks and were first registered as a Republican um, huge admirer of Ronald Reagan. What is your um, message of that political arc for yourself and your observations of what has happened to the Republican Party and people who hold conservative values? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's really interesting because we, we went back to that, that question about, about immigration. So when I immigrated to the U.S., I'm a citizen today because Ronald Reagan signed the last real amnesty bill in this country. The last immigration reform was signed by Ronald Reagan. Um, many immigrants of that like generation, my entire family registered as Republicans. I, I was a Republican, my entire family registered as Republicans. In fact, everyone that we knew that benefited from that law pretty much registered as Republicans. Uh, and that's because all we knew is Ronald Reagan helped us become citizens or put us on a track to, and my whole family, we love Ronald Reagan immensely. Um, and then of course, you know, you get older and, uh, you know, you go to college, and pretty soon you're like, okay, I think this is not for me. And, and for me, being gay, you know, is an additional um, an additional change. I mean, I certainly come from a conservative Catholic family, but we, you know, we all went through that change together, and my whole family actually then became Democrats. And, uh, and I look now at, like, at least the Republican Party back then and what it is today, and it's, not, it's unrecognizable. And... Uh, it's, it's, it's a shame that today's Republican Party couldn't even imagine or think about 
uh, passing a law to support immigrants or creating a pathway to citizenship like Republicans did back when Reagan was president. Uh, that was by a bipartisan effort. And so I think it's, I think Republicans have, have, have come a long way to this kind of uh, just a rabid uh, extremism, which um, is sad to see. And, you know, and over time, yeah, you know, a lot of people say they get, they get older, they get more conservative. And for me, it's the opposite. The older I get, the more progressive and liberal I get, and, you know, year after year. And um, I think that um, I think we have a lot of work to do to, 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 to move our country to a better place that's more inclusive of supporting kind of everyone in our country. Definitely. When, because you were... Um, and, and obviously there was a lot of other information that came in. Um, I came from a similar situation. Um, my folks, my family was very much uh, Ronald Reagan Republican fans and, and uh, um, you know, very devoted to him. And as I came out, and especially in the 80s, with um, the bad response of the Reagan administration to the AIDS crisis, um, saw things differently. But there's, um, in, in current times, a lot of people who hold, you know, some of the core Republican values of smaller government, um, you, know, um, you know, fiscal conservatism, um, different values like that, um, are not really being reflected in the current Trump induced Republican Party. Um, you want to go to Congress. How are you going to work with the people on the other side of the aisle? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that'll look at it two ways. I mean, I think first, um, there are, I think we all, I think as, you know, as, as progressives, you got to have some core values, and the gay person that core values, and I have no real interest in, in, in working or trying to find common ground with people that don't even believe that I should have basic civil rights uh, or that don't even want to acknowledge uh, the fact that gay people exist or that, you know, we uh, deserve uh, the same equal treatment as anyone else. And so I think we have to be able to take a, a strong position on, on issues of, of fairness and civil rights. Now, beyond that, I, I'm, I'm happy to work with folks that want to, um, you know, in a position of divided Congress that want to, make progress on issues and take infrastructure, like, for example, that just passed the Congress, that was bipartisan. And I think that as, as, as Democrats, like, if you get 80% of what you want, you know, you take that. We're not going to get 100% of what we want all the time. And I think that I don't believe in purism in politics. That's just, I think that's an idealistic way of looking at things. And mm-hmm. we get 80% of, of, of something, then let's take it. And I think that's We've got to make um, uh, incremental change when, when, uh, when we have a divided Congress. And so if folks want to work on, on issues around guest worker programs and immigration reform and trying to work to support small businesses and there's bipartisan support to do those things, I'm happy to work with anyone that wants to, to work on those issues. But, I, but I'm certainly not going to work or, or at any point try to compromise on issues of basic human and civil rights. No, that's that's excellent and 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 pragmatic um, and realistic. Um, going into the midterms, uh, my personal view is that this is probably, and I know we say this every cycle, but this really is probably one of the most important elections for people to show up and vote in 
Um, and a lot of that is around defending our democracy. What are your feelings on that, and how important do you feel um, it is for people to show up this time? Well, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I, I think, you know, well, people always say it, but uh, we, we are in a critical moment in history where our democracy has never uh, been as fragile as it is now. Uh, and the, the fact that we're now at a point where, you know, 70% of Republicans think that President Biden is not the legitimate president or, or, or there was a massive voter fraud and he shouldn't be the president is insane. And, and, and so the democracy and our, our democracy is, is very – very fragile, and I think we've got to be very careful about making sure that this ne- these next 10 years that we're doing everything we can to protect our democracy, that we're doing everything we can to um, focus on the truth and shed light on what is actually fact and, uh, and separate these, um, you know, really all the, the fake news, and, 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 and a lot of it's, by the way, driven by, by Donald Trump. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's important. We, we could be one or two presidential elections away from a a real constitutional crisis where, um, where Donald Trump or, 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 or someone else tries to literally uh, transition our government from a democracy to some sort of uh, authoritarian version of, uh, of, uh, of a country. And I think and that's, that's something that we need to avoid and that I certainly remember it's really hard to make sure it doesn't happen. And, and I, I hope you have every success. And I hope... Uh, also that people realize that um, it's not just electing you to Congress, but we have to elect enough Democrats so that you can accomplish everything you want. Because um, the difference between a Republican majority and a Democratic majority is, is huge. Um, we talked about voting rights, um, and I know that is one of your, um, your, your issues that you're fighting hard for. Um, can you talk about what you would do about voting rights um, should you get into Congress? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think California actually is a really good example of how to do it right. You know, we have uh, voter registration happening at DMVs. We have folks that are being mailed, vote-by-mail ballots. Uh, we have a wonderful absentee ballot, balloting program. Uh, you know, we have uh, stamps, the three posted stamps on these ballots that all of these kind of reforms that have happened in the last, you know, five, ten years in the state should really happening happening across the country. Uh, we should be increasing vote by mail. We should be increasing access to the ballot. We should be allowing folks who have served their time in our justice system to vote. And then beyond that, it's about the Voting Rights Act. And I think that we've got to do a better job of making sure that people know and understand that um, there are governors and states today that are – uh, doing everything they can to make sure that less people vote, particularly black voters and people of color. And we, we've got to protect uh, the rights of folks, particularly in these redder states, uh, and increase access to the voting booth, not decrease it. Absolutely. One of the things that the, especially the, the more conservative part of the Republican Party has targeted has been transgender rights, particularly young transgender people in schools, trans athletes, and um, to some extent um, the trying to portray gay people as groomers um, of children in school and having anything that mentions LGBTQ families or any implication of that removed. 
Um, what are your thoughts on that, and what do you feel Congress can do about it? Yeah, I mean, that's a real shame. I mean, I think attacking, you know, trans youth and trans people, I think, is uh, such a bully tactic. And these are folks that are um, a, a small group of individuals that are being attacked so so unfairly. And I think for us as an LGBTQ community, we have to really focus on trans rights at this moment and making sure that um, that folks are protected. Um, we we could do small things at the local level, at the state, at the state level. In Long Beach, for example, when I was mayor, we included trans-inclusive health care into our uh, health care package for trans employees. And this is something that is happening now across the country and in different states. Uh, we've got to make sure that we are providing online resources to other places that are where they're banning books and banning access. Uh, we've got to make sure that we are supporting organizations and states that are supporting trans youth in particular. Uh, and um, whenever we can, we've got to introduce federal legislation that uh, nationalizes uh, these rights. And I think that's something that I certainly intend to do, uh, but we also got to keep our majorities uh, to get some of this legislation done. And, and quite frankly, we've got to increase our majority in the Senate. And if we can get a couple more seats in the Senate and we can eliminate the filibuster, then we can actually get a lot done in the Congress. Yeah, it's, I mean, again, this vote, the, this election cycle is crucial. I'm, I'm the optimist that's hoping that we, we get both the Senate and the House. Um, and, um, and hopefully you will have a seat there and you will be empowered um, to actually uh, do a lot of this stuff. Um, I know one thing that you've been a champion for um, even before it hit the, the public airways recently was around um, student debt and, um, and that issue. Um, obviously, Joe Biden has just uh, launched a forgiveness of some of the student loans. Um, what do you feel about those actions that have been taken? Are they enough? And uh, what is your vision for how that should go even further in the future? I'm a huge supporter of student loan cancellation. I mentioned that I worked on a college campus for almost 10 years. Uh, you know, I saw my students struggle. I know how important it is. I know what it's like to be a first-generation college student and not be taught about financial literacy. And so I'm a big supporter. I think what President Biden did is incredible. Uh, he is uh, canceling, um, for, I mean, for, for most borrowers, $10,000 and an additional $10,000 if you have Pell Grants. So $20,000 for uh, an enormous amount of borrowers across this country. And you take just the Latino population, for example, he's wiping out half of all, of, of all folks that have debt, I mean, half of the Latino population that had debt will have wiped out that debt. Uh, that's an enormous step. I wish it would have been larger. I would have supported a larger cancellation program, but I think this is a huge step forward. We should celebrate it, and we should also honor that he's also making sure that we are uh, changing uh, the way that interest works and, uh, you know, the maximum that, that can be incurred for, for folks. And so it's a great package of reforms, and I definitely support it and look forward to hopefully even more work ahead. What, what is your input to people? And just for the record, I completely agree with you 1,000%. But there obviously is um, a lot of discourse going on. People resent it. Um, you know, they've had to pay off theirs, so why shouldn't everybody else? Um, what is your message to people who are feeling that way? I, I think that in this country – you know, we all benefit from each other when we try to do the most good. 
And I think this idea that, oh, I paid mine off and so no one else should get theirs, I think is wrong. I think that, uh, I'm, first of all, I personally am not benefiting from the student debt program. I have student debt. I, I don't qualify. And I'm super happy that others do qualify and that are, are going to actually receive the benefit. And so I think that many of us receive different types of benefits for different government programs. Um, and we should, uh, should put less emphasis on what we're not getting and more on how many people are going to be helped, you know, in this program. Excellent. Um, normally, I kind of steamroll things, and uh, poor Brody sits on the sidelines, but I know today he has questions of his own that he wants to get in here, so I'm going to try to give him that opportunity. Brody, do you, you want to um, ask some questions here? Absolutely. Good afternoon, Mr. Mayor. Um, as you know, California is suffering under an extensive heat wave. The electrical grid has been overtaxed. Governor Newsom, of course, uh, announced a state of emergency yesterday. The system operator today extended the flex alert and rolling blackouts. Conversely with that, of course, there is also the situation ongoing with the drought in Southern California across, you know, the entire region to the point where they are now, the federal government is limiting uh, water supplies coming out of the Colorado River and of course Lake Powell and Lake Mead, which feed into Los Angeles area water systems. This is climate change. This is a direct result of that. Um, you're angling for a seat in the house, Mr. Mayor. If you don't mind, give me your perspective on it right now currently because uh, you folks are dealing with it uh, as far as the heat wave goes and the ongoing effects, not to mention the fire danger. And then on top of that, we've got the water situation. So kind of a two-part question, sir. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously we have to just first recognize that we are, as a, as a planet, uh, in a climate emergency, and, uh, and we have to do everything we can to ensure that uh, climate is the center of, of what we do. And we can see the effects of what's happening with these huge heat waves coming in. And uh, and what's happening, obviously, um, across the world and in the Arctic. And so climate change is happening. I mean, I think even now some of the most extreme folks in the, in, in the Congress in this country acknowledge that climate, that climate change is actually occurring. Uh, for As a coastal city in Long Beach, our, our biggest issue on climate change is around extreme heat and around sea level rise. Those are issues that are, uh, are really um, serious, and, and particularly here in the L.A. region. Uh, we, we know that sea level rise for a coastal community and for our coast is, uh, a huge challenge. And so we have to do everything we can. And, and, and yes, we, we have to be measured. We are seeing what happens with the impact to the electrical grid here in the state of California right now. The governor is, is trying to balance uh, both uh, doing the right thing on climate, um, transitioning to electric, but also recognizing that we don't have a fully mature grid or the infrastructure yet to uh, uh, to, to go completely electric tomorrow I mean, if, we, if we wanted to. But we're getting there. We're, we're we're probably five, you know, six, seven years away from electric trucks coming in and out of our ports, uh, which is incredible. Uh, we are uh, um, uh, probably a decade or so away from there being enormous density on our roads as it relates to electric vehicles. And so the, the clean air revolution on, on that end is, uh, is on its way, and, um, and that impacts everything else uh, that we do from a water perspective. Uh, you know, water, as you know, is a huge challenge here in the state of California. Uh, we, we have just got to do a better job, not, not, not just of building the right infrastructure, but really of conservation and 
um, I think that uh, we can do a lot better as it relates to conservation in the state uh, and in the country, uh, and certainly look at technology that works other places. There's, uh, you know, uh, desalination can uh, oftentimes work, but it also can be very damaging to sea life. And so coming up, coming up with technology that actually creates a better system to uh, bring in water and clean it in a way that um, uh, is usable uh, is really important. And so that, that technology and those investments have to happen. And I will say that the new infrastructure law that has passed has got some really great uh, opportunity and funding for a lot of these great projects. Mr. Mayor, I had to follow up there, Brody, <laughs> if I can jump in. Um, you've actually you've actually walked the talk on this um, and done a lot of things for Long Beach um, in this area. You're a supporter of the Green New Deal. You, you personally signed the No Fossil Fuel Money Pledge. Tell us what you've done for Long Beach um, in this area. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't take any uh, fossil fuel money. Um, I actually don't take any corporate PAC money at all uh, in my campaign. So if, if I get elected, I'll be the first person actually in, uh, in, all, in the county to have ever been elected with uh, not taking their corporate PAC money. So I'm, I'm, we're excited about that. Uh, that's going really well. Um, and then as it relates to, to, to locally, uh, we, have, we have a very ambitious climate action plan in the city of Long Beach. Uh, we are setting targets to get off um, oil and fossil fuels uh, five years before the state target currently. Uh, we have enormous investments happening in solar and water and wind. Uh, we are um, doing a massive transition to electric trucks. Uh, we're one of the first cities to transition to electric trucks uh, in uh, 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 buses, but also transitioning to electric trucks at the port. So we're doing a lot of really good stuff. Our airport is, uh, has a sustainable model as well. Uh, and so we're, we're working on all those projects and trying to get as much done as possible. And we, we think the new um, Inflation Reduction Act that got adopted um, and the resources there that's going to go down to cities for climate programs is also going to be really substantive and kind of supercharging what we're already doing. Brody, okay, uh, go me, ahead. Yeah, I wanted to hop back to that. I, I want to make a clarification for our listeners um, in terms of the electric trucks and why that's so important. Uh, the mayor is... Uh, has Long Beach and the adjacent port of Los Angeles is one of the busiest ports in the world. And a good deal of America's goods comes through the mayor's city, through the port of Long Beach, as well as through the port of Los Angeles. That means a lot of trucks. Truck means a lot of smog. means a lot of wear and tear on city streets and environment and climate. So the fact that they are going to be able to ship those trucks to the electric, uh, as the mayor pointed out, uh, is critically important. Shifting gears, Mr. Mayor, one of the third rails of politics uh, here in California is homelessness. As you know, it's an issue next door in Los Angeles. It's an issue for you. And, of course, Governor Newsom uh, has, you know, focused with Project Home Key and other things that he's doing. As you head to Congress, hopefully, homelessness is really an issue that is an everybody issue. But what can you do? to help out as far as California is concerned once you join California's delegation or even now in your capacity as the mayor of the city? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, that is the single largest challenge that, that, that folks are talking about and that um, that we see every single day. It's, uh, it's a complete failure of our society what we've allowed happen to people and the fact that we've allowed uh, encampments and, and folks who be sleeping on sidewalks the way we have is, 
it's really it's our fault as a, as a society and as a country and, and as a state. Uh, we, but we also have to recognize that a lot of it is also an issue around both housing and mental health. It's not just one or the other. And on the housing front, we just do not build enough housing out here in California. There are some cities in the, in, in the country that are actually building enough housing to house a majority of the population and are eliminating homelessness. Uh, that is not the case in California. It's not the case in LA County. We're not doing enough. We've got to build more housing. It's going to require more density. It's going to require um, uh, where we're trying to um, recognize that there's some folks out that are uh, that are unhoused that are also seriously mentally ill and that really need health uh, health support and, and really need um, uh, doctors to to help them uh, recover so they can actually find stable housing. And we can't just allow people, it's inhumane to, to live on the street that are in this condition where that, are, that really should be in, super, in some kind of supervised care. And so I think both those things are important. I think the federal government has a role to fund programs at the state level. We should uh, focus on having a huge housing uh, bill or, or a, a, a larger project that, does, that it focuses more on these um, uh, transitional opportunities and transitional housing. And so it's something I would support in Congress and it's certainly supported as mayor. Great. Uh, Bob? Yeah. Uh, mayor, one of the things that um, you stand for, um, uh, it's one of the things you're fighting for, um, is one that I, as a gay dad, uh, feel very strongly about, um, and that is the ending of the gun violence epidemic. Um, for me, and we've all watched in horror as um, different events have taken place over the last few years. Um, obviously, one of the ones for the LGBTQ community was the, the Pulse uh, massacre. Uh, for me as a father, Sandy Hook and Parkland and um, the recent one in Texas are all almost more devastating, um, the idea of sending my kids to school and never seeing them again. Um, to me, it's... it's absolutely one of the most mind-boggling issues that has not progressed virtually at all. Um, what, what are you going to do to fight that? This is, uh, this is just such an important issue and really sad, of course, to see it. Um, obviously, I, I first fall on the pretty liberal side. And I, I don't know why we have to have the amount of, of gun ownership that we have in this country, it's ridiculous to me that anyone can own a weapon of war. It's not necessary. I understand someone wants to have, and they have a constitutional right to have a, a firearm in their home for protection and, you know, for, uh, to, to hunt. Those things are protected in our country, and I, I understand that. I support that. But the idea that, that um, you know, a, a, a teenager in our country can, can with very little uh, um, background check, with very little uh, – observation by any sort of law, law enforcement agency can purchase uh, an automatic weapon is, um, is ridiculous and it's crazy. And, it's, and, and we're the only civilized country and we're the only country out there that is a large country that is actually, uh, quite frankly, has had it completely backwards as it relates to, uh, to gun violence and gun safety laws. And so I, I, I fully support uh, national registration. I support gun licensing. I support much more health evaluation at our schools. I support the, the banning assault weapons. Uh, I don't support and do not think that, you know, arming teachers or, or turning our, our, our schools into fortresses is, 
is the solution or the answer. And so, uh, you know, I'm proud to definitely be endorsed by, by Brady Pack and by Giffords and all of our leading gun safety groups. Um, also, have an, uh, I have an F rating by the NRA, which I'm also very proud of. And, uh, and I'll, you know, we'll continue to push that issue in Congress. <laughs> I have to laugh. Congratulations on that failure um, to please the Absolutely. NRA. That, that, that's, that's excellent. Um, so I've got a broader question for you. I mean, obviously, um, you're focusing on the immediate goal, which I totally agree and totally support. I, I dearly, dearly hope you are absolutely successful in sitting in Washington, and um, I believe in you completely. Um, the one frustration I have as a Californian is really systematic. Um, you know, if, if we were represented appropriately in the Senate, um, California would have 10 senators instead of two. Um, and in the Electoral College for the, the vote for president, um, you know, I think the a vote in Wyoming um, is worth 300 votes in California. Um, it, it, you know, a lot of these things are archaically built. Um, they're, they're, you know, made sense a couple hundred years ago, not so much anymore. Um, you're coming from a, a state that is in itself one of the largest um, economic powers of the world. Um, what are your feelings about how well we're represented? And um, you as one of our leaders of the future, what would you want to do about it? I think the, the, the first solution, honestly, is to just bring uh, statehood to D.C. I think that, to me, is the most obvious step forward. Uh, uh, it's unbelievable to me that, uh, you know, uh, Wyoming has representation that they have and that D.C., you have folks that are unrepresented in the Congress, in the Senate, or in the House of Representatives, and I think that's got to get fixed immediately. So I think uh, creating statehood would balance out, um, uh, I, I, you know, the, the, the Senate and the House, and the, particularly the Senate in a way that I think would be positive for, for democracy and for, and for us as a, uh, as a country. I think as far as representation is concerned, I, I, I think that's right. I think it's a shame to me that just L.A. County alone, I mean, anywhere else we would have just the county itself should have multiple senators. And so, you know, that's a, that's a harder change. We're not going to obviously constitution uh, and, and uh, uh, in the way that that would be more fair. I think the Senate is a, kind of a uh, very archaic way of representation, but it's not going anywhere. And so I think we've got to focus more on bringing back federal funds and bringing back which as we can, and ensuring statehood for, for, for D.C. and hopefully eventually also Puerto Rico. And I think that's a way of uh, at least making things a little bit more fair. I, I agree. And, and um, man, I want you elected so badly I can't even tell you. Uh, but um, uh, one of the issues that, you know, has obviously come front and center for the country um, is due to the Supreme Court and overturn of Roe v. Wade. Um, and they've also, you know, Clarence Thomas has opened the door to um, shaking up other decisions that have to do with gay rights um, and, and other rights um, that, that they may want to um, circumvent. Um, what, what is your message to women um, right now in the current election? Yeah, I mean, I think for, for women, I think um, – it's, a, it's, it's unconscionable what's happening with Roe. It's, it's, it's shameful that the Supreme Court's been stolen, essentially, with a bunch of extremists put on the court. And we'll do everything we can to continue to codify Roe here 
the Constitution. We're doing it in our state constitution, and we've got to do the same uh, at the federal level as well. Um, and I'll always support, of course, uh, expanding care full of an abortion uh, access and abortion care uh, is, uh, is, is a right that every woman should have. And um, you also, one of the things that the Supreme Court, even before they got so radicalized, did was um, um, authorize Citizen United in their decision there. Um, I know you have that as one of your ideals also is to end it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and, and why that's a priority? Yeah, I mean, it's the same reason why I'm not taking any corporate PAC money. I think that dark money and, and, and uh, has taken over politics in many ways. I think Citizens United, uh, what happened there, that case is horrific. So we've got to get the publicly financed election. I think that's the future. Um, and so I'm hopeful that uh, we'll do whatever we can uh, to, to make that happen. And um, I think we'll help more people reject corporate PAC money in the future. I think it's the right approach and certainly the right approach for me. Excellent. Um, Brody, do you have any um, additional questions for the mayor? Yeah, I do. Mr. Mayor, one of the things that has been uh, of importance to the greater LGBTQ population in the, um, recently, of course, uh, and Rob spoke to this earlier, uh, has been on the uh, attacks, particularly on the trans community. Um, State Senator uh, Scott Weiner from California had a piece of legislation passed through that's on its way to Governor Newsom's desk for signature that essentially will give transgender uh, young people and their families refuge in California. Um, what can we do to kind of dial back the rhetoric a little bit to maybe see if we doesn't become necessary where we have to become a sanctuary state within the United States? And you as a member of Congress, what would you work towards to try to mitigate some of that? And I'm saying that with the understanding that we still have the Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates of the world uh, in the House. I, th- I think we got to get back to uh, just standing up and protesting uh, and sharing with folks that it's not acceptable what's going on with the trans community and how they're being attacked. I support the, the bill that um, Senator Weiner uh, uh, has introduced here in, in, in the state. And, um, and, and Congress should also codify laws for the entire LGBT community. The Equality Act would do a lot of that. It's, in, it's installed in the Senate. Uh, and so we all can be vocal and stand up for our trans community as much as possible. Uh, and uh, I hope to do that in Congress, and I certainly hope to be able to break and support our trans community. Uh, we, we have a, a group of, from our community that is being attacked every day, now more than ever, openly. And uh, the only way to, to make changes is to, I think, elect more Democrats and, and win a larger group in the, in, the, uh, in the Senate as well. And hey guys, I'm actually uh, I'm in a I'm some driving here. I, I might lose you guys in just a minute. So I'm, I'm entering some uh, some uh, mountain landscape here. Yeah, no problem. And I, I knew we had limited time with you, Mayor. Um, and I want to thank you first of all for coming on with us. Um, uh, you've been incredible, and I'm a big fan. And um, I can't wait to get you to Washington, uh, even though that may be a little bit of a loss for Long Beach, which has also got my heart. Um, but just lastly, what, what have we not asked you that we should be talking about? Well, I think, I think the big thing in the next 10 years is going to be, honestly, all about saving our democracy. I think we have to be very serious about the disinformation machine. That... <laughs> and no longer uh, are the mainstream of, of uh, information. And I think we have to do a better job of, 
uh, of understanding that our democracy is constantly under attack, and we've all got to stand up and honestly uh, next 10 years spend defending it, uh, electing the right people, and hopefully holding Congress and the presidency. Right. Uh, and absolutely, and that's our fight, and um, I'm absolutely committed to fighting for that. Um, so to our listeners, um, uh, first of all, we want Robert Garcia elected to Congress, absolutely, um, but also fueling behind that, we want other Democratic candidates because we want that majority so um, our candidates can be effective there. Um, again, thank you, Mayor Garcia, for everything you do, for what you stand for, what you're fighting for. Um, definitely have us behind you and, and uh, fighting uh, for you as well. Um, any, any final words before the mountains eat you up there? Uh, just thank you guys for everything and look forward to uh, you know, spending a good time in Congress. Thank you so much. And we're going to let you go so you can focus on getting through the mountains safely and um, just completely appreciate your, your time today. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks Thank so you, much. Mr. Mayor. So, Brody, let's go to you on um, some other news of the day that we didn't cover at, at the top of the hour. Well, um, speaking of things that are kind of annoying, there was a rally held by Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin uh, yesterday in Fairfax County, and it was called a Parents Matter Rally. I'm going to read a quote from the governor. They think that parents have no right to know what your child is discussing with their teacher or their counselor, particularly when some of the most important topics that a child may want to discuss are being determined. For example, what's their name? What pronoun will they use? How are they going to express their gender? This is a decision that bureaucrats in Fairfax County believe that they should be able to make without telling parents, the governor said. Fairfax County is one of the uh, major school districts in the Commonwealth of Virginia and also uh, in keeping with a state law that had been passed for guidance on how to treat transgender students had formulated a policy. Governor Yakin disagrees with these policies, and he more or less has been railing against school districts that have, you know, complied with state law in making sure that uh, schools, you know, are taking care of their um, trans and gender nonconforming students. And, you know, here we have, again, Another sitting governor, we've heard this from Governor DeSantis in Florida, basically calling for the schools to out trans and gender students to their parents, which, as you know, Rob, in some cases, yeah, that can be lethal because the kids, uh, many of them would get, you know, suicidal and they wouldn't see the, you know, light at the end of the tunnel, as it were, and they would take another path. And that really is tragic that yet here we have again a sitting governor uh, you know, attacking. I mean, it, Yonkin is sounding exactly like Greg Abbott uh, in Texas, who you remember um, actually uh, turned the flying monkeys of the Child Protective Services Agency onto mm-hmm. the parents of trans kids in Texas. We've got Governor DeSantis, who absolutely, besides don't say gay, has, you know, attacked the trans kids in Florida. Uh, the same way that, you know, Governor Yonkin is suggesting. So we're seeing, again, another, you know, pattern. And as Mayor Garcia and I were just discussing, uh, it's gotten so bad that now the state of California, through this law that uh, Scott Weiner 
put out that was uh, passed by the Assembly and Senate and is now headed to Gavin for signature, and he's indicated that he will sign it, you know, <laughs> basically offers, you know, refuge and refugee status for, you know, these trans families coming out of these states like Florida, like Alabama, and like Texas. And uh, and now apparently we can start to maybe even add Virginia to that list. So that is something that I just completely find, you know, totally abhorrent. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree. Um, here's Here's one of my frustrations around that, though. Um, because yeah. it is abhorrent, it's ridiculous for a governor, it's ridiculous for these politicians to jump in um, and interfere with family um, topics and, and family personal decisions and those type of things. Uh, but I will say this, um, just to counterbalance it a little, is that as a parent with my two sons, as they're going through school, you know, not knowing what's going on with them is a big or always has been a big concern. I've always, because you you don't know what's going on in the mind of your child sometimes, especially in their adolescence, it's a big challenge as a parent. And so it, it, there is a little bit of a threatening nature when a school system says, okay, we're going to make these determinations outside of you and keep it from you and all that. So that image, you know, and that that description of that is difficult for parents to swallow, especially when we're dedicated to protecting and loving and caring for our children. Here's where this, and you just pointed this out, Brody, is that, you know, these situations, you know, where the child is hiding this and has no safe space, to discuss or let it out or whatever is how kids leads to depression, can lead to suicide, can lead to a lot of detrimental effects. But what my opinion, this is my point, is this is where we need people like the American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association, those groups need to get off their cans and shout out the real issues in these situations. They need to be on a bully pulpit and confront these misconceptions. You know, they need to be in that discourse that challenges the governor and says, you know, governor, that we get it. Parents want to be involved and everything else. But here's the situation. You know, their parent, their um, blind need to be informed on all that could actually kill their children. And there needs to be a nuanced discussion around this, not just a political bullet point. Um, and so that's what my call to action would be is, you know, these people who are advocates for mental health, they need to get out there and be more vocal um, and be involved in this discussion. So I, know, I, I completely agree. No, and it's part of it goes to, as uh, the mayor actually just pointed out, um, you know, the fragmentation in, in the public discourse going back and forth on these issues, but it's become so polarized and so toxic. <clears throat> Pardon me. I'll give you an example. Um, yesterday we learned that the Trevor Project, which is the largest organization for assisting and prevention of youth suicide for LGBTQ youth, um, has had their helpline suicide line switchboard jammed up by trolls 
who mm. have been calling in with the intent to um, keep the board, uh, the the counselors and the the the, the board, you know, completely, you know, stuffed up with fake cases to prevent, you know, kids from accessing the hotline that needed to. Uh, this is reported uh, first by uh, my colleague Alex Kaplan, who works for Media Matters for America. Um, and it, it occurred on the 4chan and some of the more, you know, right-wingy extremist sites. But, you know, it has kind of a bleed over. And we've seen this now. Um, we've had two children's hospitals, and these are preeminent facilities for treating uh, children for all sorts of things. Um, were attacked uh, because of swarms by these right-wing people, in this particular case with the hospitals, uh, by this Brooklyn real estate agent named Chia Rock, who runs the libs of TikTok Twitter. And in the case of the Washington, D.C. Children's Hospital just this past weekend, they not only loaded up all the phone lines and attacked the hospital, but someone in the far right uh, hacked and took down the patient porthole for children. Uh, in Boston, there were death threats, and it mm-hmm. got to the point where the hospital actually requested that the state highway patrol and the Boston PD get involved, and it was so bad that the United States Attorney uh, for Boston and Massachusetts announced that she was going to launch an investigation. And then, of course, we had the Trevor thing. I had a conversation uh, yesterday with a communications director for a a member of the U.S. House here in California who's also uh, an ally, longtime LGBTQ ally, Representative Eric Swalwell, um, and someone called up his uh, district office. Uh, They're out on uh, recess right now, and uh, he's traveling. He's doing an official congressional trip, and someone uh, called his Castro Valley, California office, uh, and launched into a tirade that, you know, also included death threats. And uh, the caller said that uh, he was in possession of an AR-15 and he was going to come to the district office and tell the congressman and everyone there. Um, you know, these are no longer anomalies. This has become, sadly, the routine. Uh, you and I talked about uh, <laughs> Georgia Representative May, uh, Marjorie uh, Taylor Green. Uh, who three days ago on Twitter accused President Biden of supporting castrating boys uh, in reference to so-called gender-affirming therapy, again, you know, trans, spreading the lie that uh, we just talked about with the two hospitals, or I just talked about with the two hospitals, that, you know, these gender-affirming surgeries uh, are being done on minors and that the Democrats are, you know, supporting castrating boys and all this other nonsense. It's just that's where we're at. And yeah. no, you know, it, when I look at yeah. – yeah, go ahead. No, it's just, uh, you know, and looking at the midterms, um, you know, if we are successful in the midterms of, of uh, getting the House and the Senate and things will get done um, and looking at the potential of Trump being uh, indicted um, through a very – a variety of potential reasons why he might be um, where these people are suddenly feeling even more of a minority and a powerless minority. Um, these things are going to get worse um, before they get better. 
because that those those factors will not um, placate them or silence them. It will um, empower them. And unfortunately, it doesn't take a lot of them to have an effect. It's only one guy with an AR-15. It's only a few people, you know, honing in on a service uh, center and, and bombarding them that, that can do it. So, yeah, scary, scary stuff. Absolutely. I, I will make a, a, a final note as we go into our last few minutes here. The Cook Political Report on Thursday has shifted its forecasts for five of the more competitive House races to favor the Democrats. And we saw an interesting happen uh, earlier this week in Alaska where Mary Petrola, a, a Democratic candidate, beat Sarah Palin, the Republican candidate, in a special race for uh, a House seat. So overall picture we're getting from Cook Political and also the uh, 538 blog, which is my friend Nate Silver's operation, we're starting to see forecasting that towards Democratic retention. Um, however, it's, you know, the operative word is inch towards. And I think that, you know, you brought it up. I think it's really critically important. And of course, we have progressive voices like Mayor Garcia that really need to be, you know, put into these seats because we've got to find a way to preserve uh, what we have. And, you know, as the mayor pointed out, and I've said it on the show too, you know, American democracy is at the crossroads. It's in a very, very dangerous place. And, you know, the people that are claiming to be Republican now, yeah, they're not Republican. They're kind of out there a little bit. And the problem is they control the narrative. And so in order to kind of shoot that down, uh, we need to take back the narrative. And, and with that, I'll throw it back to you. Yeah, we do, because I'm taking back the narrative now for us. Um, and I will remind you, too, the polls are based on likely voters, and we need to enliven the unlikely voters that uh, can make the supermajority there. So folks, get out and fight, fight, fight. Vote blue no matter who. Let's get this going. Let's get this done. Um, as for us, um, thank you, Brody, for all your work on the show um, and for the L.A. Blade, which you guys need to check out, LosAngelesBlade.com. Um, should be your daily newspaper. And we, next week we will have a fantastic show. We have a bunch of things lined up, really exciting stuff. Make sure you tune in. Tell your friends. Subscribe. And uh, we will talk to you very soon. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.